Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible and a pad of paper and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, welcome everyone to Radiant Life. Welcome to week one of a series that we have titled, We Are Radiant Life, the unity of the Bride of Christ. And uh, I just want to forewarn that there is going to be three series leading into Christmas. And these three series are all combined as one, if you will. So my encouragement to our other service has been, please try your best to be here through all of it because you're going to get, there's something that's woven in between all of these teachings as well as the next three series. Uh, Today and next Sunday, we are in the We Are Radiant Life series. And then it continues with the beginning of November, how we're going to look at a series called Everyday Disciple. And it, 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 it literally is interwoven into the We series. And then after that, we've got another thing that's going to come down the pipe, the third series of this entire series. It's all interrelated. In this series, we're going to talk about what does it look like to become an everyday disciple of Jesus, one that is a spirit-led follower, one that's a force for good, a purposeful friend, and a humble leader. And we're going to unpack all that, but it's all going to make sense. So I'm encouraging the body, our family together, let's not skip out from now till Christmas. Try your best to get here because it's all interconnected. And just to warn you, like next week, we're going to have fun next week. Uh, just ideas that are coming down the pipeline. I mean, there just may be some sort of food here for you next week. And I don't just mean, I don't mean spiritual food, because Lord willing, there's always that every weekend. I mean real food, like physical hunger, nom 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 food, okay? Right? Because uh, we want to celebrate we. We're in this together. So you're going to see that. Um, we got some new Radiant Life swag coming out next week. We're going to have... Um, what else? Oh, there's new stickers for us because we updated our logo a little bit. So if you, this week, you got you one and you have that vinyl transfer sticker on the back of your car, you can go ahead and start scraping the old one off because you're going to get a new one on Sunday, okay? So that's a head warning for uh, you guys. Uh, I want to just share briefly with a picture on the screen of where we're going from now till Christmas and how these three upcoming series interlay and interlaced with one another. Here's a picture of a car. Uh, let's be honest, how many of you want to own that car? At least take it for a test drive, right? On that road where there's no one can see you <laughs> and you just go, right? Well, now we know who all the speedsters are in the room. Look at that picture and the beauty of it. Here's what we're going to unpack with the We series and then interwoven into the future series before Christmas is we want to unpack vision and mission of who we are. The vision, if you can picture this, the vision is in the background. It's the destination. It's the thing we're going after. The thing that God has us as a church unified together going after. Just like that car is going into those mountains where the sunset is. That's the destination. The car is the mission. The car is how you get to the vision and how it's unfolded as you go together. This week, we're looking at the background there 
And we're looking at vision this week. Next week, there'll be four of us on the stage unpacking the vehicle, the mission, and how we get the vision accomplished here at Radiant Life. So that's where we're going. Real quick, before we jump into where we're going, I just want to celebrate something, and then I want to tell you an an announcement. Here's the first. Let's go with the announcement first. That November 10 and 11 is our Holy Spirit weekend. So to give you an idea of what this Holy Spirit weekend is going to look like, it's going to be Friday night. Doors will open at 6. We will start at 7. There's going to be some worship and there's going to be teaching on the personhood and who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives. Then we'll come back Saturday morning at 8 to noon and you're done at noon. You can go home. We can watch college football all day Saturday, lounge around in our PJs. So we'll have that time. But Saturday morning, we're going to focus on the gifts of the Spirit, how you and I quench the Spirit, how you and I grieve the Spirit, so that, and some worship. So this is a teaching series that I wish that we can constantly do every year, which we may, but this boils it down to be like, let's do a weekend experience together. So if you want to sign up, because we'd love to have you sign up earlier than later, so we know how much snacks to provide, okay? So... You can go to theradiantlife.church and sign up for the Holy Spirit weekend, November 10th through 11th. You hunters, it's before hunting season, okay? So we squeeze it in there before you guys are like, nope, I'm up early Saturday morning out in the woods, all right? Can we just take a moment and reflect what happened last weekend here within the body together, right? We had 44 baptisms. That happened last week. 44 baptisms. And what I love about baptisms, I love it so much because perhaps our faith is we've made a very private decision in our heart and it was very personal to follow after Jesus, but our faith is never meant to stay private. Our faith is to go public. And Jesus set that example, and we celebrate. That's why I love baptism weekend here. I mean, people are saying, I am a follower of Jesus, and declaring it to the body, uh, the family of God together. And that's why I love about baptism. Uh, my boss, Chris Conrad, who you've had speak several times on this stage, that will, he's going to speak again the second week in January for us. Um, He even came for our worship night that we had last Wednesday. And the very first thing he hit me up was, he's like, you guys had how many baptisms? Like, what happened? I was just like, man, just like we had X number signed up. We spontaneously baptized a ton. Like, after this service, everyone left. We still had someone come in like 15 minutes after service and get baptized, which is awesome. And here's what's cool. We hosted that women's conference here this weekend, Right? Six, seven women got baptized at that conference as well because we left the baptismal out for them to do baptisms if they wanted to, right? So isn't that good? That's so good. It's so good to be a part of seeing the movement of God. And I want to just celebrate it. I mean, look at the faces. I mean, come on, the joy the joy. We here at Radiant Life believe in what's known as believer's baptism. That once you personally have put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's time to get dunked. 
we do infant dedication because uh, we believe that immersion in water is a believer's choice where infants don't. It's more of the parents deciding for that infant what to do. That's why we do dedication and not ba- infant baptism. Because we see in scripture, people believed and were baptized. They believed and baptized, believed and baptized, believed and baptized, believed and baptized, believed and baptized. You get the point, <laughs> right? And so that's, you see that all throughout. So that's why we here, and I'm not negating if you got baptized as an infant, that's just our practices, we together here at Radiant Life. Does that make sense? So God's on the move. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, buckle up. Here we go. Let's jump into week one, the We series. You know, as I look at the church, I don't know about you, but I, I have the church, the American church, the global church. I, I feel frustrated at times. I feel frustrated. Uh, I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I see signs and wonders. I see miracles taking place. I see these disciples of Jesus beginning a Jesus kingdom movement. I read the book of Acts and see a very spirit-filled, spirit-led community of believers that love Jesus and they desire to be with one another. They desire to live in community with one another. We live in a very individualistic world. Where you do what feels right for you. And and back in the Bible times, it was all about the community. Everything was about that community. And I see this community coming together to share with one another. To care for the poor, the widows, the orphans. I saw a community, as you read in the book of Acts, sharing to everyone about this Jesus. Not only that, they were believing in the priesthood of all believers. Listen, you all are pastors, you realize that? I just so happen, and our staff that are pastors work in full-time ministry within the local church. But you are a pastor. As a business owner, you are pastoring people. As a daycare provider, you are pastoring kids. As a stay-at-home mom or dad, you are pastoring your family. As a teacher, you are pastoring maybe other teachers and kids. We all are pastors, We all have the message of reconciliation on our heart from Jesus. We all are pastors, and you see that in the book of Acts. You see life transformation as they began to spread the gospel. You look at the book of Acts, and you see church multiplication. The early church didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It went everywhere to the ends of the earth. And they just started church planting and multiplying You saw the church equip and send out people for the ministry. Healing, miracles, intercessory prayer. You saw spirited worship. I have a question. Where did all that stuff from the Gospels and Acts go in the church today? Where, where, Where did it go? I mean, I, I see like, yeah, some, it feels like you can look at the church and say, some people get it and some don't. And you go, where is the whole body, the temperature of the bride of Christ? Where is it? Do we actually look like the disciples of Jesus? Do we actually look like the book of Acts? Do we see in the church wakening up to the spirit? Do we see it? Where we go, where'd it go? 
I have another question as I begin to look at the church and look at scripture. And I believe that this is a, a movement God's really teaching us is where did the stuff that Jesus trained and taught his disciples to do, where did it get smothered out by the modern church? At what point did we make our faith about us? At what point did we decide I go to church because I'm a consumer, not a contributor? Where did it go? I mean, do we just do the Sunday morning thing and say that's faith? I don't see that in scripture and I don't read that, that that's what Jesus is calling us to. There's got to be more. And we said it during our controversial Jesus teaching series together, those five weeks that we journeyed together. If the church isn't discipling people, then the world will. The world will. And here is what happens when we aren't discipled by the church. The world will do it, and this is what Christianity boils down to. It becomes consumer spirituality plus a little bit of self-care, right? Just help me, like I want to get just to be a better person. Just help me out a little bit. And then maybe I'll add some Jesus-y practices in there, right? You can say Jesus-y with quotation marks because that's not a real word, word, by the way. You know, that idea of sprinkling a little Bible, sprinkling a little prayer, sprinkling a little bit of church and hopefully I have my faith. And if you're discipled by the world, this is what American Christianity looks like, which ultimately equals secular sinner, sinner, I still can't say that word. You just say it. Okay, what that means is you've taken a little bit of the Bible and Jesus, taken a little bit of the world, put it together and say, that's my faith. You've combined two things together instead of just saying, this is my guide and compass. This is it. And this is what we end up with. This is what the shallow Christianity ends up being. Because ultimately, we have a foot in the church and the foot in the world. And at what time will the church rise up and say, the world is not the answer and it will leave you empty and dry? We sang about it this morning. I love one of the parables found in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 13, there's the parable of the sower that Jesus teaches. That the sower, the farmer goes out and he sows seeds, you know. And there's four different examples of where the seed lands on what types of soil. And in the midst of it, what I love about it is of the four types, only one soil type gets deeply rooted and does the plant begin to grow, to burst up into maturity, And you can look at Christians and go, for about three months, you seemed like you had this passion and zeal about you. It seemed like you were on fire, but what happened after three months, it's gone. And we want to be a church where the soil's good, where you can become deeply rooted in Jesus and have growth and grow to a beautiful, strong oak tree that can stand storms of life. That the word of God gets planted into us. That we don't just add a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and and, and be a consumer. That we're going to contribute to the movement of God here and now. And that's what we desire to be here at Radiant Life. A place where you truly can say, I have grown. I have grown. 
I love Dallas Willard. He's a theologian, wrote many great books out there. Uh, Dallas Willard passed away, I think 2014, 2017, somewhere in that area. And he said this, every church ought to ask two questions. What is our plan for making disciples and is that plan working? What I find fascinating is I think our vision for the church, God's vision is to form our church into radical disciples of him. And here's what I wrestle with. As pastors, no one asks us those questions. Which is, you know what Jesus' second to last command to the disciples are, right? The Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them, for surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. That's found in Matthew chapter 28, 19 to 20. And then the very last commandment, Jesus says, wait for the Spirit. The Spirit will empower you to go do that second to last commandment I just told you about. No one comes to church and says, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about church. Like, what's your disciple-making process? You know what people come in church and ask? Budgets, butts in the seat. That's what we're concerned. We have turned the model of church into an American enterprise and not the bride of Christ. I'm not saying those don't matter. They do because they're metrics that give us some healthy metrics. They're wonderful. They cannot be the all-consuming thing. This has to be the all-consuming thing. You ought to ask me, Pastor Ryan, what is our plan as our body together to make disciples? That is what we're after. Because here's the truth. The church is as only as good as the disciples it makes. And if your life, as you stay here, if your life is nothing that we want to reproduce in other people, we have failed as the church. And if the church is only about programs you love, we failed at a church. We ought to have programs you love. We ought to. But there's reasons why the programs exist in order to create the disciple that Jesus wants us to become. Make sense? Whew, come on now. Listen, you can have great teaching from this stage and be a bad disciple of Jesus. You can have great programs at Radiant Life and beautiful facilities and still have bad disciples. And you can have worship that will stir your soul and still produce bad disciples. We are a church that will go after the vision that God has for us. And that what this series is all about for us. Okay? So this is why I say hang in there together through two weeks of we, four weeks of everyday disciple, and then two weeks of multiply before we get to Christmas. Okay? Dallas Willard says this, the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. Christian is found three times. And it was first introduced to refer precisely to disciples of Jesus in a situation where it was no longer possible to regard them as a sect of the Jews. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. 
I love that. This is a book for disciples, about disciples and disciples by disciples who wrote it. Let me ask you a question. I mean, let me, hold on. Jesus was called teacher, rabbi, right? Rabbi means teacher. They lived in a rabbinic world, right? Where today our school systems, we just call them teachers. Back in the early century, they were rabbis. And then the rabbis would have a group of people known as disciples. That means learner. A disciple is a learner. The disciples would want to become like their rabbi. Does this make sense? So you did everything your rabbi did. Because your goal as a learner is to become like the one you follow. (laughs) Makes sense. So, for instance, this is how seriously you took it. When rabbi goes potty, you go potty. Like that's what happened. We have to understand the rabbinic world. That is exactly what happened. Now today we're like, that's weird. Some of you are like private pottiers. Some of you leave the door wide open. You don't care who comes in. Like those types of things. Back in that world, as a disciple, learner, one who follows a rabbi, you did what the rabbi did. A disciple submits themselves to follow Jesus. A disciple will surrender and go all in to follow the one they call teacher, rabbi. A disciple learns Jesus's words. A disciple practices Jesus's way of ministry. A disciple imitates Jesus's life and character. A disciple finds and teaches other disciples for Jesus. Question, does this describe you? Does it describe you? And maybe you look back and you go, Pastor, I, maybe one or two. I, I'm, not, I'm not good at a lot of that. Please hear my voice, hear the voice of God. There is no condemnation. There is none. Just allow the spirit to say, hey, there's other things we can do. There's always more. There's always a next step in your, follow, in your discipleship with Jesus. And so uh, we want to be that church that helps you. That's what we are desiring, to be on that side, to say, let's get into some good soil to allow the word of God to dwell richly within you. Um, if you got your Bible, you want to turn to Timothy in the New Testament. First Timothy, or 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be. First Timothy, there's two letters to Timothy. We have First Timothy and Second Timothy. Uh, to give you an idea, Timothy, as you turn there, Timothy is a pastor. He's a very young pastor in the church in Ephesus. He's in the church in what city? Okay, that's going to be played out. That's a theme throughout this message, okay? He's in Ephesus, a guy by the name of Paul, who we are introduced in the book of Acts as Saul, hated Jesus, had a moment with Jesus that transformed his life, became Paul and became the first century missionary that started churches all over the place. This is a letter that this guy by the name of Paul is writing to that pastor, Timothy, in Ephesus as he pastors that body. And this is what's said in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul, remember, writing to Timothy. Hey, I hope to see your beautiful face. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay and I don't get to you, 
You may know how one ought to behave in the, can we say those three words together, in the household of God. Do you see the family language of the church already? Paul wants to get there in Ephesus to Timothy and he says, hey, I'm gonna write this stuff because I might be delayed before I see you. So if I am, I want you to know how to lead and how ones ought to behave in the household of God, the family of God. That's what we all are. We are a family together. We need one another. In fact, a lot of this series, we're going to be releasing more and more um, things that we believe that's coming down the pipeline for our church. And one of those things is, um, hopefully, Lord willing, in December, we'll reveal some plans of expansion of this, of this uh, building right here. And one of those is, I really believe that the Lord was just wrecking my heart and saying this, Ryan, we need a new worship center. We know we got to expand. We know that. But don't call it a worship center. Don't call it an auditorium. Don't call it a sanctuary. Call it the family room. Because we are family together. And we eat at the Lord's table together. Every week it's Thanksgiving. It's the family. We're a household together. And we come together and we feast in worship through song and worship through word. We'll worship sometimes through prayer. We'll do all sorts of things. We are a family In particular, this family right here is, I want to show you these two words. Since 2020, our denomination made a lot of, as a Wesleyan denomination, our denomination made a lot of shifts in 2020. You know, when the whole world shuts down and they try to figure out what are the best ways for the church to move forward, they made a lot of changes and shifts. And this family, we are elder discerned, staff led. Elder discerned, staff led. Elders can make decisions, but it's more discernment for the staff and the body and the staff lead that way. The staff and I are all responsible to the lay elders as well as the staff elders. This is what this looks like for our church here. Our elders are Chris Kidd, Sarah Smith, Faith Gardner, Mike Presnell. That row right there is what we call lay elders, just means laymen, the people of the church. And we have three at the bottom because of positions where they serve are known as staff elders, okay? That's our prayer pastor, Pastor Karen Metzger. Uh, We'll get into Pastor Brandon's title in just a moment, and as well as your lead pastor, right? I love that they realized something. They realized during 2020 is that the church model of how it used to operate, known as the local board of administration, that was a very business-looking model, even though we're in the spirit business, And they said what happened was too many of the LBA ends up sitting there going, we just want to make decisions all the time. And there's no discernment within the local church anymore. And they said, we need to get back to this idea of biblical model. And you read all throughout the New Testament, you read elders, 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 elders. Paul goes around and every church he goes, he says, by the way, before I leave, you got to appoint elders for this church. You got to appoint elders And so elders here are this thing. Number one, you have to have a calling on your life. First Timothy three, Titus one says, if you don't desire or this a calling on your life, because an elder is not for everyone. It's not. Some of you need to serve in a deacon role. Some of you are like, praise God, I'll never be an elder. And I'm okay with that. I'm not called. Listen, you're called to hold babies. Go there. You're called to make coffee. Go there. Don't hurt the body and jump in a position that you're not called to. 
right? Uh, we consider ourselves, uh, we are a discernment community. I mean, we read uh, uh, since 2020, the region, our region has provided us a book. It's called Pursuing God's Will Together. And it's all about the, the board of elders pursuing and discerning God's will. Not making just decisions, but a high discernment. How do you do that in a community? They serve a six-year term, must serve one year off before being appointed again. And we'll talk about how do I get appointed if I want to be nominated? What's that process? We'll talk about that in the future uh, soon. And they answer 65 eldership questionnaire. Like, I mean, things of like, what's your calling in life? What's your practices of your life, of your spiritual? How do you gain more spiritual knowledge? Have you ever led someone to the Lord? Tell us about that. Do you see the calling that's there? There's a calling. On top of that 65, five questions go to your spouse. The very last question your spouse has to answer is why do you think your spouse would be a good elder at Radiant Life? (laughs) And we lead by those four words. Looking at scripture, the four words of elders is to feed the church, lead the church, know the church, and protect the church. And those are the four words that the Board of Elders focuses on. Uh, some meetings are changing. If you don't like eldership, I mean, you're not going to like meeting twice a month. <laughs> um, and how we unpack that. So eldership. And again, in a few weeks, we'll talk about how we onboard and if you're called and what that whole process looks like here at the church. We are staff-led. This is all the staff that we have. Um, so you'll notice on the left side, there's some title changes. It's because of the vision and where God's taking us. Okay, some of those title changes is me. I'm changing, my title gets changed to vision and teaching pastor. Am I still your lead? Yes, I'm your senior pastor, but it's vision and teaching pastor. I am the main voice on our stage for our church. Um, And so I have that role. Pastor Josh Harima is getting moved over into the lead pastor of ministries. This is why just lead pastor goes away because pastor Josh is like the pastor to our pastors. And he's involved in all the ministry areas of our church. So every pastor's under him. All the directors of areas are under him. And he makes sure that the ministries of the church are working out. Not only that, Pastor Brandon is jumping over to a new position called lead pastor of campuses. Because we want to be a church that multiplies. Not just stay here. God's kingdom is bigger than Sturgis. It's bigger than this building. It's bigger than this uh, campus right here. We've already talked about hiring John Herbert to be our sending pastor to go to Coldwater because the Cardinals in Coldwaters need Jesus. Very much so, okay? So under that, under Pastor Brandon, for all of our campuses are the assimilation of how do you go from a new guest to a member of the church? That's the, what we call simulation. That's under him. The whole discipleship pathway falls under him, as well as every campus pastor will fall under Pastor Brandon to make sure that everything is flowing really smooth. And he does that for us too, a simulation discipleship. And we want to make sure also, on top of that, we may be going to Three Rivers soon. So we're praying. And here's the idea. We'll go everywhere that the Lord provides territory. If he says, Ryan, you guys got to go, and we got to go to Vicksburg, we'll go to Vicksburg. If he says, hey, go down to Niles and Edwardsburg, we'll go down to Niles and Edwardsburg. Uh, This is bigger than us. This is looking at the uh, Acts model and going, the church multiplied, so shall we. Not only that, one other staff change. 
um, is it says Pastor Pam Carey. She f- officially finished her licensing within the Wesleyan Church, and she now is an official licensed pastor in our denomination. So she's, uh, she'll be in charge of all the connections at Radiant Life. Uh, I think her big thing would be, how do I go from attending to belonging, right? And all the connections there, so that's it. I love how then Paul unpacks with Timothy, you're a family. And he explains what the household of God looks like. He says this, let's go back to Timothy. He says, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, not of a dead God, of a living God. And it's a pillar and buttress of truth. I mean, think of this. This is why you can never do church alone. Because that's not what the word means. The word here in the Greek is ekklesia, which means the called out assembled ones. They're together. And that's why you can't do church alone. There's no such thing as I'm just doing church in the deer stand today. Wrong. You're having time with the Lord, which is great. You're not doing church. There's no one else with you. Well, the Lord's there. The Lord is everywhere, okay? Like, the Lord is everywhere. Think about that, right? And then he says, it's a pillar and buttress of truth. A pillar, think about this. Ephesus, early first century, Greco-Roman architecture. Greco, the Romans used pillars all over the place in their buildings, right? And so here Paul is using references to what you see. When you see a building that has awesome pillars, there's architectural beauty there. And you're drawn in and look at it. And Paul's sitting there going, be a pillar of truth. Be a place that holds the truth up and people are drawn to it. Not only that, be a buttress of truth, which is the support system of a building. The buttresses that when life gets tough, we will still be grounded on the word of God. The buttress of truth. I want to show you three things quickly that this church that the Lord has for us to be built upon. Number one is this, the tangible presence of God. His presence. We pray his staff every single week, every Thursday at nine, and every morning on Sunday at eight. We pray, may the people encounter you. That's what we're after. Number two, counterformation. Getting the world out of us so you and I look more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And number three, sacrificial mission. We are on mission together. But here's an issue. Some of us are drawn to maybe one or two of those things. And the issue is, this is where we as the church with um, the general big church can get very judgmental. Because you want one thing more than the other. You were brought into a church because of that one pillar. And you're like, ooh, 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 we need more of that, more of that, more of that. Which is great. But that's how you were drawn in. We need all three of these. Here's why. If you only have the tangible presence and counter formation, this just becomes spiritual selfishness. What happens is you want the presence of God, which is awesome. And you want all this for counter formation of get the world out of me, Jesus. And then it all becomes about you in that moment though. And that's what you like. You're growing and it's like, yes, yes. And it's great. But it all is you. If you only have counterformation with sacrificial mission, all you have is social activism. Uh, the reason why is you look just like a lost world that wants to self-care, self-get better, serve the poor, serve the homeless. But you don't have the presence of God. It doesn't make a difference what you do then. You just look like the world. 
But if you have the tangible presence of God and sacrificial mission, all you will be drawn in is to the spectacular and event Christianity. And all you, you love the spirit, which is great, you should. And you love, we gotta go out and give people the spirit, but there's no formation in your soul to look more like Jesus Christ. You just love the spectacular then. We need all three of these. And this church will be built and continue to be built on all three of these. And again, you're gonna see this, oh, you're gonna see these three just interwoven throughout Everyday Disciple and into that last Multiply season, uh, series. You're gonna see it. So let's quickly unpack these three real quick and we'll close. Number one, let's look at tangible presence. Did you know that God's presence is everywhere? Right, it's called the omnipresence of God. Did you know a Christian and non-Christian all have that same access? That when the non-Christian goes into nature and takes a nature walk, he's encountering the beauty of our creator. He's encountering the omnipresence of God just as much as the Christian does that takes a walk. What's different is, oh, let me show you Psalm. The psalmist says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitant, inhabitant belongs to the Lord. AKA, it's all his and he's everywhere, Okay. The difference is the tangible presence of God. The indwelling of the spirit of God that resides inside of us. That's the difference. And in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses knows something about this. Exodus 33, it says this. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. So it's like, here's our camp. Moses went out there, pitched the tent, said, hey, that's the tent of meeting. And what do you do there? Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to that tent that was outside the camp. Everyone's invited to that camp, to that tent out there. And that's where we meet with the Lord. And then look what happens. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, All the people would stand up, each one at the door of his own tent. And they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. Everyone's invited to the tent. No one went with Moses. They were satisfied at watching him. Doesn't that explain a lot of Christians today? I'll watch the worship team. I'll watch the pastor. I'll watch their passion, but I'm good from the outside. I'll just watch. They weren't even willing. They, they did a little bit of worship. Look, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the, to the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 10, I know it says eight, it's verse 10. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up and then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. They did not go and bet the family of God at the tent of the meeting. I want to be a church that says we're not watching. We're not watching the worship team. We're not watching the pastor. We will engage in it together. We will go to the tent of meeting to seek the Lord together. That's what we want to be, the tangible presence of God. And then in verse 30, uh, 34, or no, little on, watch this. He replied, this is God speaking. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, Moses. And then Moses says, listen, if your present doesn't go, don't make us go. We're not doing anything without you. May that be true of us. God, we don't want to go until you go. 
And if you say wait, we wait. We want you to go with us. And then in verse uh, chapter 34, then he said, Moses, Lord, if I've indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. You got to understand something with the pre- a tangible presence of God. You're designed by God to walk in intimacy with him. You are designed to have fellowship and intimacy with your creator, to have the presence of God come alive inside of you. You are meant for worship. You are meant to glorify him. You are meant for intimacy. Let me ask you a personal question. Are you hungry for the presence of God? Are you hungry? I'm hungry for the presence of God to just soak this place and saturate radiant life. Because we get to do that together. Counterformation. This one's fun. This one's fun because it hurts. This one's fun because it's forming something that is of the flesh and forming it out of us to become more in the spirit and the image of Jesus. This is where discipleship hits the ground running. Ephesians chapter four. Ha, Ephesians. Who's the pastor of that church? Uh, You guys are quick learners, right? Timothy. Now Paul's writing to Timothy's church. And he says, hey, I want to remind you about some formation things that's happening in your life, church. He says this, look at these words. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practices of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. They, friends, they were looking like the world. And this is where Paul writes to that church and says, but that's not you. It's counterformation. You were that. You're something else with Jesus because Jesus changes everything. And he goes on, he says this, but this is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Counterformation. Take off your former way of life. That is done. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. This is counter formation. He's telling the church in Ephesus that Paul is pastoring. Don't be like the world. There's a counter formation that helps you look like Jesus now. And we must reside there. We must be transformed by Jesus in our mind. We must be transformed in our character, in our relationships, our practices, and in our influence. We, as followers and disciples of Jesus, are not the same as we were even yesterday. We're something new. And there's counterformation out together. You can't do this alone. We need each other. In your mind to believe as Jesus believed. In your character to become more like Jesus. Relationships to love as Jesus loved. Your practices to live as Jesus lived. And your influence to be ministered to, or minister and lead just as Jesus did. 
Let me ask you a question again. Are you being counterformed into Jesus? Is there things in your life you know that's got to go? And you look in the mirror and go, I'm still holding on to the old self, not the new self. Here's the last one. Sacrificial mission. There's a lot of pastors that get together and across the world and with frustration a little bit to go, why do people in our church seem bored? And it's a question that you wrestle with. Because I think your faith is the greatest journey you'll ever walk in this planet. It's awesome to all Jesus to change you to be filled by the Spirit and say, lead me. I don't know where you're going to lead me. I don't know what you're going to do. You got to give up control and let the Spirit have more room to work in your life. That's for someone, I don't know who, that is for someone. You got to release the Spirit of control this morning. Allow the Spirit to take you. That's why we don't, we don't like it because we don't know. We love control so much. We don't know how to let go and say, God, you are a faithful God. I trust you. So I want to show you something I ran into this week. This is, a, um, this is called the redemption line or you can call it the redemption ed, edge, edge. Think about this. Once a person becomes a believer, they move from comfort. I'm good right here. This is comfortable to, okay, I think God's calling me. Now I'm going to go into a concern that I have that maybe God's calling me out here from that a little bit of caution, because I, is the Lord really leading me here? To, I'm stepping out again, and now I'm starting to receive criticism. And people may be making fun of me, and I, I don't know if really if this is the mission God and the purpose why God has me. And then finally, you're stepping into darkness, where there is evil, and you want the kingdom of God to come. And think of Jesus' life. They say a lot of Christians at the redemption line or edge go backwards and go back to what they're comfortable with. This is why they're bored, because they'll never go and step out in faith and reach people. And they said, look at Jesus, his criticism, he ate with sinners. They didn't like that. Time with women, they didn't like that. He went against the Pharisees' tradition, the religious. No one liked that. Uh, His choice of disciples, he chose 12 ordinary people, not the religious elite, not the smartest of the bunch. I'm sure they'll be offended when we get to heaven and be like, why'd you guys never think we were smart? We were really smart people. The cost of discipleship, Oh, you mean I have to die to myself and pick up a cross to follow after you? Mm. And then outsider inclusion. Listen, Jesus' gospel is for everyone, right? For the slave and free, for the male and female, for the Jew and Gentile. It was for everyone. And they wanted this inclusion. No, we're, we're Jews. He says it's for everyone. And then he stepped through the criticism and out into the world that he needed to go. Samaria, no Jew would go there. You stay away, they're evil. He went to the Decapolis, 10 cities of Greco-Roman pagan worship. And he went there, right? He said, there's a great commission. You guys have to, here's the first word, go. You gotta get up and go. You can't just sit here and consume. Go be a contributor to my kingdom. The book of Acts is full of the early church in that movement. They went to crazy places to preach Jesus. I love earlier, he told Timothy this in 2.4. He says, talking about God, God who desires all people to be saved. All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of our father. And if we're going to be sacrificial mission, please lean in. We don't want to be a church that just gathers. We want to be a church that scatters. 
And we got to go. God has you wherever you are for a reason. Go be a pastor. Go. Go reach them for Jesus. Go disciple other disciples there in your way you work, live, and play. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a Jesus kingdom mindset? Do you have? Worship team, make your way up. Do you have that? R.T. Kendall. He, he's, he's a pastor in uh, Britain for a long time. He's a spunky old man. I was on a Zoom call with him about a year and a half ago. I mean, this guy is in his late 80s, if not early 90s, still alive. That began a spirit-filled movement in England. And there he brought it back to America and he was a guy that wanted to stiff arm, very similar to my story. Felt like I don't want to stiff arm the spirit. And then just the spirit consumed him and he was on fire and wanted to see the spirit of God in churches. And he says this, here's his quote. There are word churches, which means like the Bible preaching churches. And there are spirit churches. There's been a great divorce in the church between word and spirit. And like any divorce, some kids go with the mom and some go with the dad. Revival happens when you bring those two back together. We need the tangible presence of God. We need counterformation. That's why we look at the word together. To get the world out of us so the word becomes in us. And it doesn't stop there. There's a mission outside these walls to go reach people for Jesus. And there's gonna be some sacrifice in the midst of reaching. So what's our vision? What is the vision that God has laid on our hearts here? With all this being said, comes in a quick story from my wife and I. My wife and I were uh, in different conversations with the Lord. We didn't know we were in different conversations with the Lord at the time. And I think, I I don't know if I went to my wife first or she went to me for something happened where she said like I really feel that the word that the Lord has given me for maybe it was the church or something I don't remember ministry wise is is the word life like we're the Lord is bringing life to people which is John 10 10 where Jesus says um, I came that they may have abundant life and I kind of laughed I was like ah or I think I one of something happened there was laughter somewhere and um because I had been wrestling with God in my vehicle. Like, I'll pull up and just stare at my garage door. And I'm a thinker, and I just like, Lord, you know, we've been here eight and a half years. Like, we love the staff. We love this people. We love this community. Is there just more? Like, what else are you doing? Like, is this what we're supposed to do every Sunday? Is just this, and we hope we, we hope that throughout the next seven days of the week, like you're getting in the word, you're getting in community with others. Like, Lord, if we got a, my, my joke, please hear, this is a joke. Okay, don't go on Facebook and say a bunch of things. Like if we just dropped a grenade in the order of service and it blew up the service order, that's all I'm saying. Blew up the service order. Like help us do that if you want to do something different. Like if you don't want just worship and word and we ought to be time out and get into groups and start praying right here together, like we should. We're family. 
And uh, the word fully alive just kept coming to my mind. My fingerprints on radiant life for life. Because when everyone comes fully alive, they'll live a radiant life for me. The vision of radiant life is to see everyone come fully alive in Jesus. And this will be a place of hope and healing for people in order to come fully alive. I started to tear up and realizing that's what's happened the last eight and a half years of our time together. been dry and stagnant in the marsh of their spiritual ugly swamp faith started to get out of it and become a true living water that flows to other people they're starting to come alive may you and I realize there's always more may you and I not be a swamp that stinks and no one no one goes to a swamp and goes I can't wait to jump in that thing no They want to jump into fresh living water. And the difference is this one consumes and doesn't flow to others. This one does. That's the difference. See everyone. And I want to read this Ephesians 5, 1 through 5 to you. And then we're going to worship with a closing song. Here's the last. Check this out. To the church in Ephesus. Again, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin dead, spiritually dead, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler and the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. You were dead. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us. Let's read those five words together. Made us alive with Christ, even though you were dead, but now you're alive in Jesus. You are saved by grace. We are radiant life. May we all continue to become fully alive in Jesus and the lost world be aware you're spiritually dead and there's good news for you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the radiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.